Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Lee Carlo, returning, and I am with Chapin Hemingway. We are sans Jeremy Fisk this week. Chapin, it's been tough to get the three-way going, which is a little disappointing, um, but we're going to have to go at it missionary style. Making that joke again. You and I. Yep, yep. As we discuss Promising Young Woman, directed by Emerald Fennel and starring Carrie Mulligan. Uh, I'd like to chime in a little bit on you guys discussion last week on ammonite if you don't I'd mind love it. yeah that'd be great um, and do we want to discuss the I'm, golden globe nominations at all and yeah i think so i think golden globe nominations came out today um i have uh cleansed my mouth of the barf that typically shows up after that oh, happens good, good, and good, good. um and we'll discuss uh our thoughts on that what are you gonna do i don't know God almighty. You know, they put themselves in danger, girls like that. It was a perverted thing to say. You'd think you'd learn by that age, right? I need to lie down. What are you doing? It's okay, you're safe. What are you doing? Hey, I said, what are you doing? Chapin, this week's episode is sponsored by Valiant and Valiant. Uh, as you know, I've been discussing it with you. I've been trying to find a good, reliable, and affordable private detective agency that I can hire to keep tabs on Lydia. Um, unfortunately for me, Valiant and Valiant is based in Los Angeles and primarily only take on cases involving tunes. Right. But they are the best of the best. Uh, Eddie and Teddy may not be around anymore, but if you're in Los An- if you're in the Los Angeles area, their agency should still be the number one call for all of your snooping needs. So, Chapin, like I said, I, I never really like it when we're down a man. Um, but for the sake of my opening discussion, I think it is probably better that I have you here as opposed to Jeremy because I think I know how Jeremy feels about this. In fact, I'm quite certain I know how Jeremy feels about this. And I realize I don't think I do know how you feel. Um, so I want to start off by talking a little bit about kind of the type of movie that Promising Young Woman is. Uh, obviously, when... Um, Movies are always kind of a product of our time, and I think it's very evident these days that filmmakers are trying to confront issues and take a stance or make a statement of some kind. Uh, But that's always happened. That's always been going on, Um, whether it's something that's happening presently or something that's happened in the past. Uh, And inevitably, eventually somebody takes a shot at confronting one of these issues with a certain level of irreverence. I think the most recent successful example would be Black Klansman. Um, and I'll tell you right off the bat, I, I really love it when movies can successfully execute this. I think it takes bold filmmaking and when it's done really well. And I think it can they can be some of our best movies. I think a movie like Dr. Strangelove would be maybe the, t- the, the most uh, successful and uh, great movie example of this. But Life is Beautiful is another movie that comes to mind, um, or Jojo Rabbit more recently, something dealing with the Holocaust and, you know, movies that are meant to be funny. And I just am curious what you think of this and why you think this works. Do you think this works? I I, I like it in principle, for sure. Um, I think it's it's such a clever way to espouse some you know, interesting ideas about society. I think like, you know, satire has off has been 
a dramatic mm-hmm. tool people have used for hundreds of years in writing and in theater and in movies. Um, and I think it's a, you know, to satirize something is, is a, it, it's to do it. It's to sort of look at it in a different way through a different lens. Um, you know, I, I sort of made a face at a couple of those movies you just mentioned, obviously not Dr. Mm-hmm. Strangelove, but, um, some of those didn't really resonate very, very much with me, but I do think it's a tough line to, to draw. Um, I know you listened to our For podcast sure. last week and I think I said this at the end of the Ammonite podcast, which is just like, you know, that kind of filmmaking, even if you respond to it, which I tend to do it. And I mean, the filmmaking in Ammonite, the kind of slow burn, the handheld camera, the sort of soft touch, if you will, um, can can work but it's also like it's not the most challenging f- filmmaking mm-hmm. um and and i and i mentioned that jeremy um brought up on the golden eye podcast that that kind of tone that that film walked which was sort of you know a little bit of a reverence a little bit of you know still like a serious action movie kind of towing the line with with a with being jokey and a little fun and that that is so much more difficult to pull off from a tone perspective than, you know, your born movies or something that's mm-hmm. a little more um, easy to put together. And just because it's just because you're sort of using the tools of a successful formula doesn't mean that you're actually successful. Right. Um, and yeah. so I think that this kind of filmmaking is very difficult. And when, when it's pulled off, I think some of the hardest, some of the hardest yeah. absolutely. When it's pulled off, it can be really really powerful i'm trying to think of a great um i mean i don't want to just sort of limit our discussion to satires but like you know you mentioned dr strangelove is a great one i i I didn't really like um uh jojo rabbit but i mean that's a great i mean there are definitely ways there are definitely great movies that have accomplished this in the past and i think it like it sort of gives you that extra tool of comedy and irreverence gives you a whole nother set of tools to explore and and i think like i admire that because it because honestly like i think the failure rate is a lot higher with films like this and it's it's a risk and it could be a dangerous risk too if you fail because you are asking an audience to you know sort of laugh at things that shouldn't be funny and you know there's ways to work around that and but there's also you know, there's also some good in that. I mean, uh, something that Jeremy brought up a lot of on the Black Klansman podcast was catharsis. And I think, you know, being able to let yourself, let your guard down when it comes to, you know, serious subjects is certainly welcomed as an audience member. So if you're able to do that and a film allows you to do that, then that's the first step towards it being successful. And then there's a lot of other things that you have to do right. You have to, you can make an irreverent movie but you you can't treat the subject with complete irreverence does that make sense you have to recognize the seriousness of it and that's kind of what makes it great um you know uh, life is beautiful is a movie that that impact has kind of faded for me over the years but i do think that movie was really effective in that aspect in that it never and never shied away from kind of the serious impact of something like the Holocaust. But it kind of just told this nice family story, this nice father and son tale, and it allowed itself to be funny in telling that story. And by balancing those two things, that movie 
was successful. Um, yeah. And I, I think Black Klansman did something similar. And, it, you know, it depends on how you respond to either the comedy or either or the flip side of it, I think, in, in terms of how well that will it's work. It's been a while since I've seen Life is Beautiful, but I, uh, I, I think that that film was... I don't think it was like a... Um, I don't know that it was a satire per se. I don't really remember don't it that so, well, but no. it was more like this guy was trying to find the humor and the Holocaust, like literally in real time as he was participating in it and keeping his son happy. And I think that that, I mean, that that's an interesting point of view for sure, but that's not like, that wasn't what the film was doing. I don't think the film, the film was funny, but it wasn't finding like, it wasn't like satirizing the Holocaust. It was just like, it was just about this guy who wanted to. No, that's much. Yeah. It's not really a satire. It's honestly just a, a funny movie about the Holocaust right. is and I, it was kind of the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. And I remember being like, he did it like Benini pulled this off. Like this is something that should not have been successful. And it was, um, um all right. Now with, yeah. with promising young woman, where we deal with the subject of, of sexual assault and, Obviously, in the Me Too era, um, this is something that is on you know top of mind for everybody, as it should be. And Nominated addressing for the a issue, Golden Globe for Best Picture and Screenplay, Probably I think, so, and Best Actress. Um, so as it should be, it's top of mind. This is a uh, something that we should be cognizant of, um, and hopefully dealing with in a productive way. And Emerald Fennell, the writer-director of, of this movie, um, takes uh, an irreverent approach in some ways at this, much like we've been talking about. Um, so I'll, I'll just ask you two questions straight out, Chapin. How do you think that worked, and how did you like the movie? Um, I had a real, real problem with the tone of the film. Um, and I do want to kind of backtrack a little bit. Like, I... I, I've, I I struggle with like balancing my expectations in these films, you know, and like I sort of talked with you about about news of the world. I want to be objective and unbiased, and uh, I think a lot of times like we go into these movies, we get excited about them. I think we've we've tampered that as we've gotten old, older. I, I sort of think of Inception in two thousand ten as like mm-hmm. the sort of the height of that. Uh, particular <laughs> phenomenon started going down, yeah. and uh, well, in like a in like a three month span, we had Inception in the Social Network. Like amazing, I've never been more erect what? for a movie than that three yeah. month span in my entire life. By the life. way, we have to get it in as we now have to get we have to raise the number of penises said on, on this podcast yep. every 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 time. So keep that in <laughs> mind. Um, so I, I I think you know trailers are like really great trailers are an art form in in and of themselves. This this film had a great trailer, but also like a great pre- premise, which is okay. How how are women going to respond, especially in a phenomenon that was sort of um, kicked off by or sort of the big sort of the most the most sort of um, the most sort of evident or obvious kind of you know the Harvey Weinstein case sort of kicked off the me too movement and so and that's part of hollywood so you you expect a response and this is the first movie to like kind of do that with a fist in the air and um i'm sure Mm -hmm. there's other ones that have that have done that but like this is this clearly like a response to that and so i was excited for that i really was i really was interested in where this was going to go and i think the film 
ultimately was just too conventional for me. And that really, really, really disappointed me. And I think there are some fatal flaws with this movie in terms of tone. Um, and there are some things I just flat out didn't understand. Um, but ultimately I, I was sort of like very, very disappointed with this movie. Um, I, I just think it was a mess tonally. And I, 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 uh, I think that that, that is a tough thing to do because as you pointed out in your intro, like that's the stance this movie took. It was like, we're going to do this in an irreverent way. And it, and it didn't pay off. And I'd like to get in, obviously I hope I can explain that later on because, um, I think it's an interesting discussion to have. Well, I, I think I agree with you on everything you've said except for one very important point. I'll bring that up in a second. But, um, yeah, in terms of this movie being a little bit of a mess, it, to me, I think the way I'd best describe it is it felt unfinished mm. um, from from soup to nuts. I mean, the, the script felt like it maybe needed another draft. Uh, scenes didn't necessarily mesh quite as seamlessly as you would have liked. Uh, a lot of things that kind of went unexplained they, they they were there and then they were gone and then something else started and and you know a lot of issues like that um and that left you disappointed <laughs> inexplicably with all that in mind i loved this movie really like i really really enjoyed it i was so satisfied and i think it's because a lot of what happens in this movie is very satisfying and despite its problems I reacted to much of what happened in this movie, I think, exactly the way I was intended to react. Mm. And in that regard, I found it successful. I, I, You know, I've got a list of things that are wrong with it, and that's a problem. But at the end of the day, and I saw this twice because I watched it, and then I watched it again with Lydia, and both times, I just really, really loved oh, it. Wow. <laughs> and, well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, this is going to be interesting because we'll have to... I know Jeremy prepared for this podcast, but wasn't able to make it. And so he can he can be kind of the uh, the, the, the tiebreaker. And and sure. And I and I and my expectation is that he will side with you. I guess the other reason I was glad that it was just one of you is because I don't have to defend myself against both of you. Well, I don't know. I, I don't but, know. I mean, I know Jeremy was very excited for this film, and I know he's a big Carrie Mulligan fan, so I... I yeah, and, and that's another aspect that, that we will certainly get into. We'll save that. Um, but look, like, I, you know, I don't want to spoil this movie. Um, I definitely don't want to spoil this movie. I think this is a, certainly a movie that's worth watching as um, <laughs> as freshly as you can. But well, you can, what I mean, unfolds how in can this we movie... Do, how can we do a podcast where we don't spoil it? Are you just telling people... I don't, we've never, we've never so done just, it. So just should we tell people to t- tune, tune out if they don't want to... Well, if we're going to get to spoilers, then we'll... We will give them a spoiler okay, alert. I'll have to um, and do that, and maybe mar- mark the time in the notes of the on the episode. But uh, for now, I don't want to spoil anything. But what transpires in this movie, the ups and the downs. You know, I went up and down with them. Like when something bad happened, I was disappointed that something bad was happening, and I didn't want it to happen. And then, you know, when things came to conclusions i was so satisfied with the conclusions and Mm. i liked the characters in this movie all these pieces that i really liked didn't all fit together the puzzle was incomplete but ultimately i just thought surface level this movie worked for me and i i don't know that that's a ringing endorsement but 
don't be surprised if this ends up on a on some fixing oh. lists for me just because I I really really liked it. Oh god. Okay. Um okay. So I, you know, like I don't take any pleasure in what I'm about to do, you know, and and I and it was I had a good conversation with Jeremy who I think was in a little bit of a bad mood on our podcast last last uh last week and but you know i don't take any pleasure in shitting on ammonite either you know like i thought that was a fine movie um we'll talk about that later but like you know like i i just want to say like i i like stories like this i i i want them i was excited for them and and honestly that might have worked against emerald Fennell here and and the movie we've got you know it's like my expectations probably hurt my my idea of the film but I, i will say from the trailer you get this you get a sense of what's happening with uh, Carrie Mulligan. It wasn't. It was spoiled for us in the in the trailer. I don't think it was spoiled in a, in a bad way, but you get the sense that she is a a woman who is going out and sort of faking being drunk and um and going home with guys and then kind of revealing her sobriety and something happens and and the, the trailer leaves you wanting like and so I was expecting that to be explained, but that's all she does. So I, that's where I want to start. This is her first thing. Yeah, what get, was she doing? Yeah. Her, she was going to bars, and, faking being very drunk, getting men home, and then confronting them. But then, what what, what was her intention with this? And that's one of the issues. One and and look, they're they're all. I I guess you could call them little issues, but there's enough of them to make but it. But you know, issue. she's it, she's it, Kill Bill she style, notebook. Yeah, notebook where she's crossing yeah. names off the list, and she's you know she's keeping track of all her her deeds. But I don't like I don't know that she's accomplishing anything. Well, that's what was frustrating for me is that in this little notebook, she basically has a bunch of tallies right. as if this is how many times she's done this. And she does it in different color pens, suggesting that, you know, red, did she kill this person? Black, did she just have a, you know, a, a stern conversation with this person? Blue is something else. And that was not only was that not explained, but she basically decides at one point that she's done with that aspect and she puts her book away but not before we have transitioned into this movie playing out in four parts. And the first, I don't know, 30 minutes of this movie, 40 minutes maybe, isn't part one. So there's like these two Well, I think those are the, I think those, as I understood that those pieces are her plans unfolding, like her well-laid plans and each each group. Exactly. That's what it is. And, and it, at first it has a little to do with what she's written in her book, but we only kind of see that Kill Bill style for a second. So th- like these are little these are the examples that I that I wrote down in terms of like the puzzle pieces that weren't all fitting together. Maybe that left this movie unfinished. Le- you know, the script that could have used an- another draft. Right. And those are problems. I'm not going to deny that that's problematic for this movie. You know, I, I don't, and I'm not going to continue to reiterate that the, you know, um, the ends justified the means. I, it's just to, for me, they did. But I let's continue to talk sure. about so, kind so, of what was missing. So in that this happens, movie. and so you don't really get a sense of. I guess she's got. I mean, from the Wikipedia page, it says she's sort of scaring guys into not doing what, but but I mean, scaring them into sort of curbing their behavior. But I, I feel like. It's almost as if it's almost as if her waking up like gets them out of it in a way. Like I, I feel like they feel not as guilty once she leaves because they've she's kind of attacked them in a way. Anyways, 
So that that's like the first half an hour. Then then we find out that there's something more sinister behind the scenes, which and I'm trying to understand this because again, this I think this was poorly explained and um, done so in a kind of a clunky way that uh, Carrie Mulligan's character Cassandra Cassie had a friend in medical school or in college. In medical school, okay. yes. Well, it's a friend she's known since she right. was like and four years in, old, but they went to medical they school went to together. medical school together or, or college. It could have been one or the other. And she was raped, the friend, and mm-hmm. eventually committed suicide because of this rape. Yeah, and part of the problem is that the movie is very intent on not telling us specifically what happened. And as a result... It skirts around it. It infers it in multiple different ways. Right. And it's a little and annoying. It's annoying. And, it's, and it was challenging for me to understand what I had actually. Like, I don't think that they, I got what I needed to get about that particular event when I needed it. In other words, I think that, like, you were guessing about what the details of that were. That And, and, and it was so sort of, they were trying to. Yeah, it's sort of intentionally playing right. coy. It's. it's um, and so we, we, we sort of come to understand that Cassie has this like long-term revenge plan to get back at everybody that she, um, that, that was sort of, sort of involved in, in, in this thing. But like, you know, um, so anyways, that, that starts with, I believe Connie well, Britton who plays the Dean who didn't do anything, but like her revenge is to sort of kind of threaten her daughter's safety, but not really. And she gets her to confess to not doing anything, but she doesn't tape her or anything. Like she doesn't like, again, like the, these steps that just sort of want to teach her a lesson now, but honest. Okay. Yeah. First of all, was this a long-term plan? I don't, cause it felt like her long-term plan was to just keep going to bars. And then she got this tip kind of when she first meets Bo Burnham's hmm. character of Ryan that this character of Al Monroe, who is sort of the main um, the main aggressor in this rape, or the or the or the rapist, I guess, uh, as it turns out, um, has returned to the states from working in England, is going to get married, and it seems like that's kind of what triggers her to go down this path of you know, approaching or exacting revenge on everybody that was involved in this and did nothing. But my second piece is you're talking about this scene with, with Connie Britton. I liked that scene. I think on a scene by scene basis, a lot of this movie works. And again, if you want to try to put the pieces together and tie it all up, maybe it's not as successful, but you know, that uh, on a number of different levels, I found that scene powerful. I think that it was well acted. You know, we'll get into more of that later. And I think mm. that the the mess. Uh, another note I made on this movie is that it's just it's very broad and very obvious and very on the I, nose. And that scene is certainly yeah. An and example I and I mean, that. Carrie Mulligan is an extraordinary actress and doing a lot of good work here. And I like Connie Britton. Um, I thought the scene was very badly written and just like that. That may be true, but I I do think it was a necessary scene in a movie like this to highlight that this Connie Britton character is part of the problem. Um, What's outlined in this is, you know, the stuff we've heard many, many times. You know, you have to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. 
you know, I can't, I can't expel or, you know, I, I can't do something to every, to every guy sure. that ever gets so, accused of raping somebody or yeah, someone. And, and, so I, forth. and I agree with you. I think those are definitely part of things you've heard. What I, I would like to say that I, I don't think the film broke any new ground here, which I was disappointed in. I mean, this, you're right. These are things we hear before. These are all legitimate, real reasons that these, about these cases, but that did feel like how we discussed these type of events like five or 10 years mm-hmm. ago. I don't, I think that like there is new and, and maybe, you know, maybe I I don't know when this is supposed to be set. Maybe the point of it is that it's set before me too happened or, or the, the Weinstein case, um, which is, which is fine. But I mean, I think it felt very antiquated from that point of view. Like this is, this is not the language we have now to discuss these things. We have new standards for these things now. And I do think it would be it would have been interesting to sort of think about how, you know, if it, I think what's what's sort of fascinating about the movie is that is that you you come to understand that Cassie's whole life has been sort of derailed by the, the suicide of her friend and due to the subsequent rape. And so there's some sort of time period between when she kind of dropped out of school because of this and and what the events that are happening now and. I think what would have been interesting is if like you, you know, maybe, maybe you have some of that evolving language or evolving, um, point of view revealed with those differences, you know? And so I don't know. I, I just like, again, I, I think the scene was fine, I guess, but I, I wanted this movie to like go that extra mile. And I just, this is a perfect example of how it didn't like you have these institutions um, set up in ways that protect these people and it's a huge issue and I don't think it really gave us any new perspective on that at all in that scene yes and that's I, I agree a hundred percent that this movie does not really break any new ground and it had an opportunity to and I, I should guess. say like not not even break new ground like it feels like it it it, it was made in a different time in a time before a rapidly evolving uh, discourse on this subject has, has, has occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, what else? What else do you think? So, was so, so she, then she has a scene with Alison Brie, who I thought was also very, very good in this movie. Um, and I was confused as to what she had done. And that scene felt a little hackneyed as well. Like it was like, you know, God, she used to get drunk all the time or, or, but actually she was saying you get drunk all the time, right? Like it was directed at her. Yeah. So uh, both scenes are basically doing the same thing. And it seems like Cassie's motive in both cases is the same. But was, was her implication and that to... Cassie was raped as well? No, I think I think that what you're tr- what you what I took from that scene is that Allison Bree's character of Madison knows that something happened, but really probably hasn't thought about it in ten years or however long it's right. been, and you know never never harbored any guilt or blame for it, um, and that's exactly what Cassie expected, and that's what she wants to kind of. Um, teach Madison and and just like the scene with Connie Britton um she puts Madison in a position where she 
where something similar happens to her in in a way and in doing so hopes that she learns a lesson and you know that's a that's like a moral high ground that we actually don't really see from Cassie like we don't she doesn't strike me as a moral person necessarily she's actually kind of a kind of a dick yeah <laughs> i mean she's she's not nice to people she she lives at home but she's not really that pleasant with her parents you know, right. Bo Burnham comes in and he's she's rude to her. So like, she's not this moral person that's come up with this master plan no. to like teach people a and lesson. Also, she's, but that's kind of still what she's happens. She's also moral in this way that is like way too convenient. I mean, she she essentially what happens is she fakes getting drunk again, which just seems her her go to tactic um, with Madison. But Madison actually gets drunk. And so she kind of counts on that in the middle of the day. And then she's paid some guy to, I guess, take her up to a hotel room and sort of uh, not do anything with her sexually, but to sort of keep her company, but allowing, make make her her think think that that she slept with this person, which I mean, okay, that's a terrible thing to have happen if it actually did happen, which it didn't happen, (laughs) but it's not, you know, like the the movie makes out that Alison Brie is panicked about, you know, having maybe slept with this other person, which it, I mean, I'm sure you. Well, they make a big deal about she's married. She just had twins that she's obsessed yeah. with. And that's that's where you're so, supposed to draw that line. Again, these are so these you are ha- significant. Script you have to. Issues. So yeah. she so and, and having to, like, believe that she did this, she would have to totally question her moral compass. And, you know, she wasn't that drunk, et cetera. I mean, I don't know, like. Like, again, a couple of these things are fine, but they start to add up, you know, like. Yep. Um, so and then, yes, she meets Bo Burnham's character, who Bo, who I thought was excellent in this. Like, I loved him. He's, he's so, so funny, funny he's so charming likeable. and likable. And like, again, I was sort of like this turned into this to this sort of very conventional romantic comedy, you know, where you're sort of rooting for their romance. You like them together. They have this. They have really fun moments. They sing a Paris Hilton song in a in a pharmacy. <laughs> yeah, in like a, a great, in a montage, pretty great yeah. sequence. Um, and he says he's going to buy her a bicycle, which is such a good line. <laughs> <laughs> so, so okay. And this is where we're going to start to get into spoiler territory if we haven't already. So, spoiler alert um, from here on out. Uh, Thirty minutes. Yeah. So. It, it's revealed. So eventually, like you know. Um, it's, it's revealed that Bo Burnham had a part in this rape. So I guess it was a kind of a, I, I, what I think happened again. And like, it's been, it's been two weeks since I've seen this, I think. And, um, I, I I didn't really understand it while I was watching it, but the impression that I got was that somebody, basically this was at a party and this Mm -hmm. guy had sex with or raped, uh, her friend while she was unconscious. Is that, was that your understanding? Okay. Yes. And somebody and was filming it, and, it, it got and Bo Burnham's character Ryan was among those people, which we, which she learns when she sees this, <laughs> sees this film that Allison Brie brought right. so, to her from an old phone that so she saves, old... which they just very quickly and simply just say, "Oh, I keep my old phone for photos." Right. And somehow that was <laughs> that video was passed around. Um, yep. So, okay. And and so their, their their relationship kind of falls apart. Um, she demands, so she finds out somehow. I, I don't know that it really matters. Um, that 
the guy who she knows raped her friend is getting married and is having a bachelor party. Learns all this from from Bo Burnham. Okay, because yeah. he's still he's still in touch with all. But of these she people. they all they all went to med. But school she together. knew it was him, right? She knew who had done it. Is that correct? Yeah, she knew who had done it. She could because the the allegations had been made against him to the right. dean okay. and everything. And and Bo Burnham's character. Uh, knew her from med school. They get reacquainted when he runs into her at the coffee shop and they begin dating. And, and he's not really friends with any of these people that were involved, but was friends with them then and is still in touch with them. Right. Um, and as it turns out, was invited to his wedding at the end of the movie. Like we, So he's close enough with her. Sure. So that's where she gets all her information. Right. So, so she demands to know where the bachelor party is taking place. And she has this elaborate plan of to sort of ruin She's, ruin everybody at everybody at this bachelor party. Specifically, the well, her her plan is to go Aldo Rain on Al Monroe and carve carve Nelly, her friend's name, in his chest. But was that the plan, or was the plan actually I what, think that's what actually what do. happened? Uh, I think she expected what to, that what happened was was a possibility. I don't think she was. I think she would prefer had it not happened. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, because I think she put the pieces in place in preparation. Because for if that. she if she had done what she did, would or what she was planning on doing, what she described, which is tattooing her name or carving the name into the into her the guy's chest, like I mean, he probably wouldn't be getting married the next day, but. Um, I don't know that the, so what does happen is the guy kills Carrie Mulligan in a sort of intense scene. Um, Mm -hmm. he and his friend bury her body, uh, out somewhere. Um, and the next, they burn, they burn burn her her body. body. (laughs) And this is all done in like a very kind of comical way in a, in a, that's, and that's a hundred percent on Max Greenfield who plays, the guy's friend. Yeah. Um, if you've seen New Girl, you know Max Greenfield. You know his style of comedy, and it's that character, and it's so out of place. It's very bizarre. Um, and uh, but eventually they're at the wedding, and the cops come and arrest them and arrest everybody, basically, because they all participated. Bec- um, so because she's basically put together a, a plan with delayed text messages right. and sending a sending a um a letter to in fact the lawyer who was involved in this case um who feel uh, Alfred Molina play, put, played by Alfred Molina um she goes to see him as part of her plan to exact revenge and he is guilt-ridden he knows what he's done wrong and he can't sleep at night and he explains that to her and she pardons him I pardon you <laughs> Um, yes. So I don't know. I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I just, everything. I mean, I I guess I liked the ending. It was a little comical. It was a little, it, it it did feel like they, they didn't quite nail the tone there. Um, Hmm. I do think that's an issue. And I think that you can argue that it's a leap too. Like, but so what I will say is, I I was devastated when she is killed. Yeah, it's very disturbing. I didn't see it yeah. coming, and I was thrilled in that last scene when the cops come and you see what she's done to to orchestrate right. that. 
I was thrilled so, and I was so satisfied. So you've got this guy, the Max Greenfield character and his and his buddy, the guy who gets married. Um, and they're just they're so <laughs> they're not they're not good in this. I, mean, they're, 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 I don't want to go so far as to say they're not good actors, but right. they're just but they're, not their good characters are just so for them one dimensional and silly. <laughs> And sort of inconsistent. Chris Lowell plays the in, other guy. Inconsistent with like the tone that I think they really needed to strike here is that I I didn't really ca- I didn't really care what happened to them. I I didn't really like ca- I, I was like what are we laughing at here? Like the sort of fragility of human life. Um, and 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 you don't you don't hate you don't hate them at the end of it. You know, like I was I was watching mm. some really bad. 90s action movie that I won't reveal what it was on the podcast here. Mm, no, yes, Under Siege Two: Dark Territory, and the oh, the wow. the the bad guys are of sort of vary varying annoyance, and I was just like there was there was a you know and and and, and evilness and there is like a there's like a level of like awful death that each one is going to have. And like the guy who's not quite as bad, but is bad, you know, dies one way, but then the really bad, annoying, immoral guy played by, um, what's his name from, uh, who's the guy from, uh, cut gems, the guy who plays the guy he owes money to. Oh, I don't know what that actor's name is. Uh, Oh, Oh, the, his, his, his brother-in-law, Eric Bogosian. Yeah. Just like, like, is dropped out of a helicopter just, while he's on fire, and so he gets what he deserves. Anyways, like these guys, I, I don't. I, I just hold. On. I want to pause for a second because it took some. Ser- Look, I go down some like searching for a movie to watch rabbit holes. That you went deep. Well, I watched Jason. the first one, and they're both on HBO Max. If, if anybody's interested, Under Siege is the first movie. Is a is an actually good movie? Uh, a, a tour de force performance from Tommy Lee Jones. Um, so. What I w- she just had to see if they could follow yeah. it up. Uh, it's not the first time I've seen that film either. Let's not talk anymore about Casey Ryback. Under Siege 2. <laughs> Under Siege 2. Casey fucking Ryback. Uh, so, so look, like, like I just didn't care. Like, they were such caric- caricatures that I didn't, that I didn't, I couldn't feel any anger towards them. That I couldn't feel like, oh, serves them right. Because they weren't characters. You didn't, there was no complexity to them. They were just like opportunistic white guys who were going to be doctors and and you know the film like has to keep them separate because of the way they've set up the sort of intricate reveal of all these things the movie has to keep them separate from the rest of the movie until the end i understand that i mean I, i i would argue that that may not be the best way to sort of build what i'm describing which is like a feeling of you know these guys get what they deserve but um so you have this like last scene that's awful and funny at the same time in a weird way. And, and, and she dies and they burn her or whatever. And they're like, but they're la- it, it feels like an Adam McKay kind of style comedy, like a late, uh, late two thousands sort of vibe. And, okay. and, and it just, it just did not ring true to me or I felt any sort of emotional connection to it at all. Well, here's my counter. And this is not to say that those characters shouldn't have been better developed. And again, like I said, I think Max Greenfield deserves a, a blunt of the blame and you can blame Emerald Fennel for this as well. Um, his performance is out of place. It's goofy. It doesn't make sense. But my counter is that 
we while you may not care about those characters, you do care about Cassandra, Carrie Mulligan's yes. character, and you care about what's happened to her. So those two final scenes, you know, when she is killed, you care about that, and then to f- see what she is able to accomplish and orchestrate in the aftermath, you care about, and you are happy to see that she pulled that off, regardless of whether or not you care that these caricatures got theirs, you are happy to see that she succeeded. And I think that's what works so well for me. I mean, I cannot, I cannot like overemphasize like how, how satisfied and thrilled I was by the end of this. And it was in part because it's, it is a satisfying ending, but it is also by kind of how devastated I was by what happened to her. And like it, that's all a product of, creating a likable character even if the movie is flawed. I agree with you there. And it's the same it's the same with the relationship with Bo Burnham. I loved their relationship as rom-com as rom-commy as it too. was when you find out that Bo Burnham was there and they break up. I was devastated. I liked them together. <laughs> I mean, so I I didn't like that that happened, but it was justified in the the story that this was telling. And it wasn't done perfectly, far from mm. it. No but I just, you know, I just really, really liked this movie. Okay, but and I, I feel like this has been good because I've been very clear that I agree with everything you're saying. I have my own issues, and those are all there, and they're problems. And it's this movie probably doesn't even deserve the credit that I'm giving it, and definitely not some of the credit that it's getting amongst our uh, critical peers out there. But you know. When all is, all is said and done, I you know I have a feeling a lot of people fell for it the same way so, I did. It, seem, it seems like it. Yeah, it was. It got a bunch of Golden Globe nominations. Um, late. Have you seen Kajillionaire? Okay. Not yet. No. So that's a movie that I think, uh, as they say on the big picture, your mileage may vary with. Um, and I I was not. Um, it didn't necessarily completely work for me, but it has this very consistent tone that toes the line between uh sort of a bizarre kind of um quirky but not quirky comedy sort of oddball indie comedy and a sort of romantic drama it's it's definitely more on the the former side than the latter but and and i will say like that particular brand just didn't work well for me but it was consistent and Mm-hmm. As I've sort of had some time away from that film, I, I, I think my appreciation for it has grown. But I guess I just like the way that this movie was sort of all over the place. I just I, I had a really hard time with that. Uh, I think I think the the easiest or most, most conspicuous example of that is her parents, uh, who are played by Jennifer mm-hmm. Coolidge and who's Clancy Brown and Clancy Brown. And I like. I want to talk about the casting. I like those two actors. On, on I, li- I think note, Jennifer but... Coolidge is actually quite good in this role. Like where you know she's the that the woman from American Pie and all the um, uh, the what's his name? Fucking um, yeah, he's Stifler's mom. Yeah, but she's in. She's Stifler's mom. Yeah, she's in all the uh, Christopher, Christopher Guest Thank you. Where yeah. she's playing like Best such a ditz and, and stuff. And, and she's got yeah. an interesting role here that I actually kind of liked, and I like Clancy Brown. But like they're just like these completely odd people who live in this odd mm-hmm. house and have sort of there, there was a moment where at the beginning i was just like is this a thing they're going for where like they're always just like sitting at the kitchen right. table they never yeah. move it, it was, was weird. weird and carrie mulligan lives with thought. her and i had and they're like in the movie quite a bit but 
to what end? Like, what was the point of that? And like, it's like you know, you're 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 you 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 get you you understand that you know, in a movie that's filled with lots of things that you that at least I didn't register, you understand that they're weird and a little out of touch and I don't know, strange to, for her to live with. But I, it, what was the point of that? What was the point of all that screen time? Well. I have I have a thought, and it has to do with the casting of a lot of characters in this movie. Now, Emerald Fennel does not have the pull to go get whoever she wants at this movie, and there's a well, lot she of does do kill, who's, killing who's Eve. Who. I mean, that's a pretty big show, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, but regardless, it, you know, it's I, I, there's a lot of who's who's in this in this movie, but all of the guys that Carrie Mulligan tricks into taking her home. Adam Brody, Christopher Mintz-Plasse, Sam Richardson, anybody who's seen Veep loves him. Like, they're all these kind of, like, good guys, which I think is intentional. Like, they're not actors that you associate with villains in any way or with sleazebags in any way. And I think that's intentional. And then on the topic of her parents, maybe I'm digging too deep here, but, I mean, Jennifer Coolidge is, like, the original MILF from the American Pie movies, like a very sexualized character. Sure, of course. <laughs> okay. And then and then you have Clancy Brown, who is just like the ultimate 90s villain as Byron Hadley in Shawshank, playing this sweet, innocent dad. And it's like a total subversion. I don't, again, maybe I'm digging too deep, but I think there was some very, very intentional casting going on here. I don't here, have a problem with the casting. And that played into the tone of some of these scenes. Like, in particular, her parents, like trying to subvert the MILF, Stifler's mom, and trying to subvert Captain Hadley into these just like innocent, quiet, boring people may have been a very intentional move, but changed the tone of the movie as a as sort of a byproduct. Sure, sure. But, but to what end? Sure, that's fine. I, like, I agree with. I this don't stuff. care. Like, I, I, told I, I, you, I, I had mean, the same reaction. Subversive casting is interesting. I'm not denying that, but like, you have to do yeah, something. with I, it, of But course. I don't even. Yeah. But but who cares? Like, they, what was the point of her, their characters? <laughs> I I agree. I had the same reaction. I was literally being like, "Is this going to be a weird thing where we're going to have to analyze why the parents were always sitting at the kitchen table? Eventually, they were sitting at the couch. Right. And, they're, they're always like, home, and they're, uh, yeah. Okay. So. We don't, we're sort of running out of time. My, my question, Lee, for you, I, I want to know, like, I wanted this movie to say something, and I wanted it to say something profound, and I know I always want that, and it's a, it's a, it's something I need to think about as a film reviewer, but I wanted it to say something, and what was it saying? Yeah, I, I don't, I think get it. <clears throat> I think that it missed the boat on that, and in the end, this movie was. Uh, a popcorn movie for me in in many ways like it was an enjoyable experience i laughed in scenes i liked the relationships the ending was satisfying and i left pleased right. but what this movie had a a very very good opportunity to dig a little deeper and say something more that i think it didn't do and you know in the long run that's that's going to be a problem you know a year from now two years from now i'm i'm likely not going to be as high on this movie as I am right now or maybe even a couple months from now when we announce our fixie nominations but 
you know, at the end of the day, like I sometimes, you know, a movie that leaves you smiling is 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 sure. good enough. And I, I don't want to make that sound like, oh, this is just a movie that I enjoyed. The way we say that about you know some movies that come out in April, I I, I genuinely enjoyed this movie, and I think for that reason, it's 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 good and it should be given okay. credit. It just has some problems. It has some rookie writer director problem. I guess she's a she works a lot in TV, but this is her first feature film that she's written and directed, and you can kind of yeah. tell. Um, one thing I just want to point out really quickly because I do want to hear your thoughts um, on Ammonite is something that really distracted and bugged me was the sort of um, analogous like fake websites and kind of brands in this film yeah friender yeah and i i mean if the social that, if that the social network delete can your account. use facebook why can't this movie it's strange I, I i got a kick out of how she has this friender account that's that's designed exactly like facebook but you can delete your account with right, two right, clicks yeah, and it's just you'd gone you'd never be able to do that <laughs> but then there was something other there's like some there was like a cell phone interface or there was something there's some more of those invented brands of like yeah. everyday things that we use I like just just figure out a way to use the real thing because um i found that very distracting and it's like you know it is weird that stuff is so ingrained now you can't fake right. it 10 years ago or five years ago maybe even you could do a friender instead right. of facebook right. like and you just but it's it's just it's ever it's everywhere now it's 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 like using a can of coke yeah i mean which yeah 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 um, okay, so Lee, Ammonite, what do you... Yeah, um, so on the movie as a whole, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I mean, I kind of agree with just about everything you guys said. I, I found it a little dull. I think I probably, I definitely liked it more than Jeremy did, so maybe I feel similar, more similarly to you. Um, it was not a unpleasant experience. Yeah. I just, it, it, obviously the, the comparisons to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it just, it it, it paled massively in comparison to a movie like that um, dealing with something very similar. I found your discussion on, on Jeremy's penis much more interesting. Yeah. I mean, um, I didn't mean to talk about that. <laughs> no, in general, uh, the sex scene that you guys um, spend a little bit of time talking about, I think, I think that discussion is, is one that we've never really had before. And I thought that it was, it was really interesting and I'm glad you had it because I had thoughts on that too. Even before I had seen the movie, I had heard about this sex scene. There was some articles written about how Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan choreographed it themselves. And, you know, Winslet not only is very open to appearing nude in movies, she also seems to like to talk about it a lot, yeah. too. And, uh, and But that see, that in um, and of itself is kind of an example of what I was discussing. Like, like some PR person said, it's, yeah, you know what we should do? We should write a, have someone write a story about how they chore- choreographed their own sex scene. Like, what a great part of promoting this movie. Like, who cares? Like what, what does that well, matter? Why, why are we obsessed with this stuff? I liked I liked your point quite a bit on on they uh, their um no I lost my Sorry. train of thought. Uh, well, anyway, what I what the the thought what I had thought of when I first heard about this sex scene is sort of the unfortunate reality that we live in that if you are going to be a leading lady in movies you are going to do a sex scene or a nude scene and it got me think trying to think of a single actress that you know their name that has not appeared nude in a movie and that's you know that has got to be 
something that weighs on any woman going into that profession that they at one point or another if they want to have any level of six critical success especially it's not even a commercial thing it's critical at this point which makes probably oddly makes it worse uh that you're gonna have to take your clothes off and you know i you know i didn't you know in watching saoirse ronan and little women last year and leading up to that with lady bird and you know we obviously love her as an actress she's a fixie winner it never really crossed my mind that, oh, eventually she's going to have to take her clothes off. But then this movie came along and I was like, oh, yeah, here it is. She's got to take her clothes off. She's going to do it with Kate Winslet. And and I just think that that's not going anywhere, but is kind of really unfortunate that that has to be the case. Um, because, yeah. you know, obviously it's it's a microcosm of a much, much bigger issue well, um, that men don't have to do anything to uh, – well, like some, that. I mean, uh, nor some do, do. I, uh, you know, but I, I guess I, I mean, that is an interesting way to look at it. And I'm glad you brought that up, but I, I think of it more as just, I, I don't think it's so much their fault or, or the movie's fault, but just like the way we perceive those scenes, you know, it, it, well, it was, that, right. And that's was what just I was like, going to say it, your point on, on it be that being art, like this is necessary for me to be considered a great artist. Yeah. And I just um, think like, like, like for you, I mean, it's interesting you read that article, like some, like that, that are, that some PR person thought it would be interesting to, to, for the interview to talk about how they constructed specifically this sex scene. Like why, what is it like? I mean, if it, it like, w- wouldn't that take people out of that, out of that scene to think, Oh, I, I wonder how they, I wonder about these two like ultra famous people who have I've seen in dresses I mean, at the at the Oscars how they sat in this like weird room in like a cold ass town in England by the coast and figure out a way to like sit on each other's faces like like what who cares well it did cross my mind watching the scene because I knew that now unlike Jeremy that I had no issue waking up my penis during that scene it's I mean it's an erotic scene with with two you know attractive women yeah but I guess the- but. That's bes- what I guess the point is that my point is that, you know, knowing that. So uh, it made me think of another movie, which I don't know that you guys have seen. We joke about it all the time. But blue is the warmest color, which <laughs> also has there's a lot of conversation about the two actresses work in right. that movie and the director's relationship with them. And look, uh, blue is the warmest color. We joke about it all the time. It's a Palme d'Or winning movie. It's it's very very good, but the sex scene, the significant lesbian sex scene in the middle of that is like seventeen minutes long, and it is wholly unnecessary. Right. It is just it, do not just need go it into in the little movie. What you then were it saying, would be like there there was some sort of suggestion, or I think just like blatant regard that blatantly regarded that they were sort of like abused on the set of that movie. Like he made them do like hundreds of takes of that. Yes, and it it's. It's right smack in the middle of the movie, it's like 17 minutes or 19 minutes or something of of this sex scene that just does not really impact the movie in any way. And it's a three-hour movie. Jesus you take Christ. that out, it's still a long movie, but it's like a manageable two hours and 40 minutes of a really unique, interesting love story. I guess this this kind of this <laughs> goes back to like my point. Ammonite reminded me of that because this scene also was like, graphic for graphics okay so this i think this goes back to the point we also discussed on this which is that you know i don't (laughs) of the director of amidite francis lee and the two leads i don't think any of those people are gay 
And 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 Portrait of a Lady on Fire is directed by a lesbian, and it stars at least one lesbian, her former lover, uh, Adele Hanel, who um, who Jeremy loves a lot and who I thought was also excellent. And so, like, look, like you don't. It's not like. Yeah, I don't want to get back into the conversation I don't, you guys had. But I don't it's just either. Knowing but, what this but you is, can, you like, can understanding. You it, can, yeah. you know, that movie has some erotic nudity. It, it has two beautiful women in it who have, who, who have a, but there's it doesn't feel gratuitous in that movie. Like there's they are naked and but it it, it feels very comfortable and there's yeah. not a lot of there isn't. It's very. Yeah, it's very, very hard to leave that scene in Ammonite and leave Blue's Warmest Color without thinking that this is just sort of the director's fantasy, like, that he filmed. And that's unfair to a certain extent, but with something like Portrait of Lady on Fire, you're right, it feels artistic. It feels like it was done to serve the movie, where the scene in Ammonite, Blue's Warmest Color, it feels like it's there to serve the audience or to serve the director. Like, it's just... They well, feel okay. oddly I mean, out of yes, place. It, like you can have a sex it, scene that doesn't feel out of place, no, but does, like when they start to get yes, it doesn't have you know, to be when like. Sergio Ronan's sitting on Kate Winslet's face. It like, doesn't have to be like these. Feel, I mean, Jeremy was alluding, and I think you're on it too. That like these directors are have these like huge stars and are making these like ten million dollar movies, and they have to get like something they could jerk off to out of it. Like I don't think it's that, <laughs> yeah. but but I do think that like I mean, again, like. I know you don't want to talk about it, but like, this is the way you like men, especially straight men have like been grown up to think of let, like we have that joke in our head. Like yeah, we think of yeah. lesbians as like performing on each other for men. And that's not what lesbians are. That's not what it is. It's a, any, it's in fact, it's the opposite of that. Lesbians don't want anything to do with men. So, uh, you know, and so maybe maybe it takes like uh, oh, you know, just like the su- the subtleties of that to understand how to like make a movie about a romance about these people. Yes, I think that's absolutely true, and that that's the point I 100% agree with. Like I I agree with what Jeremy said about you know you got you guys' conversation on you know whether or not a, a a straight person can play a gay person and so on and so forth. Anybody can play anything, but. A lesbian is going to have a better understanding of what a lesbian relationship yeah. is like. Just like any other thing in any other movie. If you've experienced it, you understand it better and you can probably portray it better. And that's why actors that's why method actors are so lauded, because they go and learn and understand what it's like to be in prison or what it's like to be a drug addict or whatever it may be. And that's why their performances oftentimes come across as authentic and not you know <laughs> performative so i mean and sometimes they do but anyway um real quickly on the golden globe noms chapin what were you well my opening thoughts is that every time they come out i barf and this year what made me barf is that hamilton which is not even a movie has three golden globe nominations for with uh, among the movies desperate a little desperate (laughs) uh yeah i mean i haven't looked terribly closely at them but like i was pretty typical i mean it's nice to it's nice to start getting like a sense of what will be you know i don't I don't take these things as I don't like look to the golden globes to tell us what fixies are, but what, you know, like it's nice to say, okay, well now we know we need to see this and you know, maybe we don't need to see that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just a mess. I, I, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm really excited that Mank is getting this, this attention. I think it, 
which it didn't it, they, it sounded like it was fading in it the did, awards yeah. conversation and, and, so, it's and great. so like yeah. i think that's what's so frustrating about the award season is that those things can kind of like randomly like movies that we love can just kind of randomly disappear like they just decided it's not <laughs> not gonna be an interesting movie and it <sighs> seems i mean it got the most nominations so that i think that's great and i i'm excited for that film to be a player in this coming extended award season i mean I, I feel like it's always going to have the fucking Mark McGuire asterisk of 2020 on it, you know? And so, yeah. and you can tell by the, I mean, like the, would Hamilton have been nominated under any other circumstances? I don't think so. I mean, for golden globe possibly, cause they're always desperate Maybe, to fill but you that have, musical you think comedy about, like, category. West Side Story would have been definitely in there. Um, That's true. So, I like how we know what would have filled that category because there's only like five yeah, musical yeah. comedies and <laughs> it, it, it's, we haven't, nobody's even seen that but movie. I mean, I, I'm sure you did too. Listen to the big picture on it today. And so I, we don't have to rehash that. I, I, it's nice. I'm, I'm very, I just want to just take away that. Like, I'm very excited that Mank is going to be a player. Um, uh, I'll tell you what the one thing, the golden globe nominations really did for me today it made it made me feel like the movie year was real which i've been yeah. struggling to kind of gather like we've been watching some good movies and we're assembling our fixie list and putting this together but the we're, we've been talking about you know setting a date for the fixies and it still feels so far away and the oscars are still so far away and you know really just you know it's it is far away but like the the movie year is going to wrap up end of mm-hmm. february we're following the uh, the Oscars schedule, which anything that is released prior to the end of this month is eligible for a 2020 fixie. Uh, and but it's just felt like nothing is happening because right now it's February. I mean, we would be talking like full steam about the Oscars and fixies in any other year. And so these nominations coming out just ma- reminded me that movies existed this year, that there's still some things that are I'm excited to see. You know, there's a lot of things that are on this list that I just, you know, Glenn Close and Hillbilly Elegy. We know how we feel about that. And like, well, at least, at least, um, uh, I mean, Borat has like six nominations. That's actually a movie that's not bad. I saw it. Um, uh, at least, um, Amy Adams didn't get nominated though. Surprising. It is a little surprising. Um, who else got the, the, uh, actress nominations? Uh, Viola Davis, Andra Day, United States versus Billie Holiday, which I don't know when we're going to be able to see that. Vanessa Kirby, France McDormand, and Carrie Mulligan. So, yeah, that's those seem like good yeah. nominations. All right. All right. Well, that'll wrap this episode of the Get Your Film Fix podcast up. I have been Lee Carlo here with Chapin Hemingway discussing all things women, lesbians, and the Golden Globes. And Email us at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Let us know what you thought of uh, Promising Young Women. Carrie Mulligan, we didn't even talk about her. Amazing was, in this movie. I, I love Carrie Mulligan so good. much. Uh, we'll talk more about her, um, I'm sure, but uh, one of my favorite actresses for sure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.